My name is Tony, and I was in a cult for over a decade. And my name is Lindsay, and my sister was in a cult for over a decade. And now I'm out. Lindsay and my family helped get me out, and we have created a podcast. Playing in Traffic. We interview survivors of the Wimscog. We cover topics of healing and topics of all things about cults. So tune in, like, subscribe, whatever all that means, and enjoy the process of deconstruction. Welcome to Playing in Traffic. This is our disclaimer song. This is our disclaimer song. It's our opinion. Don't sue us. Don't sue us. If you didn't want us to make a podcast about you, then you probably shouldn't have started a religion where you brainwashed people and separated them from your family, so it's kind of your fault. But don't sue us. Don't sue us. You know who you are, so don't do it. Don't sue us. It's, it's a very oh. popular thing in, in okay. Texas, at least where okay. I'm at. Like you, you'll see like at least maybe one to two out of five people will have something Bucky's related on. Really? Even the Yeti. I know what's up, Tony. Okay. <laughs> okay sorry. Apparently I don't. That's Let's awesome. <laughs> Welcome to Playing in Traffic, y'all. We have a very special guest today. A very, very special guest. Luis is here with us. He's a former member and a former survivor with all of us. And he was baptized in the Wimscog in Oklahoma in 2012. And so today's the first time that we're going to be speaking with somebody from that part of the country. So I'm really excited to hear some stories from, from Oklahoma. And then later he moved to Texas, where he also attended the Wimscog. And he was in there for about six years, so for a long time. So, Luis, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for uh, finally having me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're we're down. We're in the Michelle rabbit hole right now. So, um, but we're so glad that we found time and to have you on and to hear your story. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really happy that I I waited till after the episodes because a lot of that stuff actually happened like right before and as I was I was like you know freshly there and starting and right. so they they really did keep everyone's sheltered there in that side it's it's crazy yeah oh so yeah you guys have actually heard Luis's voice he's been on the podcast his <laughs> voice is on um so now we're actually doing our interview with him so um Luis was on the first episode of the Michelle um series or season whatever it's called. <laughs> who is Michelle Cologne have you been enjoying those episodes before we get into it like has it been changing your opinion of what happened in the courts or is it sort of what you expected or so when when I heard about like the the lawsuits when I was in, um, we we just we were constantly told like, hey, these people are going after the church. You know, they something something happened, and they're they're just completely against the church. And that's that's that was basically like the whole like their damage control, right? And so I didn't really understand. Of course, they're not going to say you know both sides of the story since they control all the information. And so when I started listening to it, I'm like, man, I had no idea that she was behind the 
actual website. Like I, I had no idea. And it wasn't until 2020 when I actually got on the website and like really just dug through it. And um, but like I said, I had no idea that was her. And then finally hearing the the story and everything from her side. Like I, I was I felt so bad because I'm like, man, they really just it was like Jordan said, a smear campaign. They just they dragged her name through the dirt in that cult. It was ridiculous. And so finally hearing it now, I'm like, I'm so glad I, I heard her her side and like how they treated her and everything, because you see you see that type of treatment towards people. But of course, you know, you're you're so brainwashed. You don't you don't see it that way. You don't really feel that sympathy towards them. It's, it's right, crazy. that's true. You almost feel like, oh well, it's justified. They deserve our shunning. Yeah, exactly. You're mm-hmm. like, you're like, they had it coming, you know. Right, they had it coming. And you're they shouldn't like, have done that. Yeah, you know? it's like better them than me, basically. Type right. of type of mindset for it. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad I waited. It was it was a really good um, series, is what I would call it. I mean, it was it was great. Like you, cool. I've learned so much in it, and and actually getting to know her as well. I, I thought that was pretty awesome too. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's so cool. She's like a Tony and I are like Michelle is like our spirit animal. She's so like strong <laughs> and like like fierce and um Tony and I are kind of weenies, so it's cool to like make friends. <laughs> We're not dude. We We're, survived a cult. We can do anything. Yeah. We're strong. You and I are uh we just have a different personality than Michelle. So it's so f- nice having like a really strong, powerful female. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right. All right, we- let's let's get into Luisa's story. Well, what month were you baptized? Uh, I was in June of 2012. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't hear anything about the end of the world till I want to say like the winter. No, more like the fall of 2012. So um, I I felt like I was on a fast track course type uh, thing because they they had me like studying nonstop. You know, like my my ex-wife was just having me come and study and study and study and the next thing I know I had like the first 10 10 subjects done and they were like here time to go preaching now and so I don't know if I had mentioned this before but I was in the military still while I was uh while I was in the in the cult and so it's funny because hearing Michelle say how they their analogies were related into what her profession was was like hers was always about like the spiritual hospital well so mine was always the spiritual military and so I guess they, I, well, they knew that, but I, I, I felt like they just constantly wanted to like compare everything so that that would like, I guess, relate to me more. And so and I, Tony said the same thing about motherhood. She was very like, yeah, exactly. Being a mom, how mother and mother's love and her mother's love. Yeah, that's yeah, crazy. They, they, that's- yeah, they make everything, they make everything spiritual. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, you know, like any little thing that they can find. Oh, you know, I see it. It's a copy and shadow of what's in what's in heaven and on earth. You know, that's, that's can you give us some examples of um, how they would compare the military to um, the church? Just just so yeah, people so, can hear what, it, what it's like. So, um, I, I forgot whose episode it was talking about how, so after they explained how the prophecy failed, they said that we had failed the inspection, right? And so they felt the need to have me give an example of how uh, an inspection works in the military, right? And so I had explained that you, you're in formation in front of everybody, you know, serious face, and then the um, whoever's in charge of that battalion or company, whatever, they come and like they inspect you, like literally everything you're wearing, right? 
And so in my case, I was in the Marine Corps, so I had my dress blues on and they were like inspecting every little thing. And I told them that I had, I had failed because I had a little a little string hanging out of the belt loop. That's what made me fail. And obviously they ate that up. They were like, see, this is this is how how God is going to nitpick everybody, you know, for any little any little sin that you have. That's that's what they're going to use, you know. And so it was a lot of things like that, even with um, being like well groomed and stuff. You know, you're, you're in the military. You constantly have to have your hair cut, clean shaven face. You, you're dressed incredibly properly and all, all that kind of stuff, you know. And so they they constantly use that with me. And like now now that I'm out and I see it and I like think back on it, I'm like, man, it was <laughs> it was ridiculous, you know. Oh, that's crazy. That's so interesting because I don't think we have talked to anybody who was in the military. Yeah, so I so originally when I was in, my contract was for uh, reservist. But towards the end of my schooling, I wanted to go active. But it was kind of too late. But they basically helped me out to where when I got to a unit, I could request active duty orders, which meaning I would be able to be on base, right? And so I was attached to a unit in um, in Texas first, and then I went to one in Oklahoma. And so the one in Texas, I was only there for a little bit before um, before me and my ex, uh, well, she convinced me to move to Oklahoma, and, and then that's where I would basically keep going and, and studying. It's kind of it's kind of weird. So I I was in North Carolina, and I'm basically going to tell y'all how she she had preached to me. So yeah. um, I was in North Carolina at so, my uh, school. When she, when she preached to you, she's just like a stranger. No, no. So, so her, I was very close with her family. Uh, that's that lives in Texas. Her cousins were basically my best friends, right? One of them is actually still in, and I think he just became a deacon, I believe. But um, the other one, he's the one that got me to join the Marine Corps, and so he's, I was, I was really close with him. And so I'm stationed over there in, in uh, North Carolina, and I'm just bored out of my mind. And I'm, I'm talking to friends, you know, just uh, skyping with them, talking to them online. And I remember seeing her post something on Facebook about her like being upset because she was going to move in with people and it didn't work out. Turns out she was actually going to move in with uh, members of the of the church. Yeah, I found that out later. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I was talking to her, just trying to cheer her up and everything. And then she ended up uh, asking me about my beliefs. And I was like, well, I believe there's something out there. You know, I just I don't I don't know what I guess I could say I was agnostic back then. I mean, I was I was raised Catholic, but I, I didn't like going to church. I, I hated going to church. Um, and so she she starts telling me about what, you know, what she believes in, that she believes in not only God the Father, but God the Mother. I'm like, OK, well, that's an interesting concept. I had seen a movie not long before that that actually kind of explained that. Um, I don't know. Maybe you guys have seen it. It's called Dogma. Uh, yeah, so it's it's with uh, like the, the same people that wrote like a lot of the Jane Silent Bob movies, and and that's how I'd seen it. So when I, I thought of that movie, I'm like, okay, yeah, they they put yeah. God in like a feminine it's perspective. Famous Merced mother in that one. Yeah. Oh my so, God, Tony, so, you remember yeah. the first time my sister got me high? I watched. She gave me watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, we love Dogma, and, and I think that's important. Important. like we kind of already had like an open mind yeah. to think oh there's a female exactly. god why not right and then that's what she had asked me she was like are you very open-minded and I was like yeah I mean who's who's not you know I, I I'm one of those people that like to to learn about um just whatever's out there whatever theory you have throw it at me you know I want to I want to hear it and so then she she showed me this video on YouTube and it was actually who they claimed 
to be God the Mother. And I was like, okay, she's showing me a video of some Asian lady. You know, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. That's not Alanis Morissette. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had no clue who it was. And I'm like, well, what, what is this, you know? And she was like, well, what if I told you there's a possibility that that's God? I'm like, oh, I mean, I need the proof, you know? Like, you can't just go out and claim that somebody's God. At this time, was she your girlfriend? No, we were just talking, kind of okay. like, like I guess she was leading me on to that. It was more so we were just talking every day at that point. And, um, and so <laughs> my fiance is going to hate this, but I was actually talking to her at that time as well. Since I was in high school with her, we were still talking, but not like that. And so I kind of just cut her off. And she reminds me about this every single day. I kid you not. <laughs> okay, at least she knows. Oh, yeah, she, she knows. Okay, we're not like revealing something. I'm like, yeah. we can edit this out. No, no, she knows. <laughs> um, and so so then she actually asked about, uh, do I like to read? And I'm like, yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I used to read a lot when I was in high school. And I told her that I had just finished reading uh, The Da Vinci Code. And so I was really into like symbolism and, and conspiracy theories and whatnot. And so she was like, well, if I mail you a book, would you read it? And so I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, and she ends up uh, mailing me the, the little green book. What was it? Uh, Visitors of an Angelic World. That one. So she mailed me that one. And. Yeah, so I, I read it. I read the whole thing, and the author's name stuck out to me. So I'm like, I've you know, I've never seen the name written like that before. I thought it was kind of odd. And so we end up uh, we end up skyping later, and she's asking she's asking me like, hey, what do you think of the book? I'm like, oh, it was interesting. You know, it it really opened a lot of um, like theories for me. Like I had never thought to to see the Bible in that perspective. And so I asked her about the author. I'm like, who's who's the author, though? I was like, I'm curious about that name. And she basically told me, oh, well, if I find a church near you, would you be willing to go? I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. It just depends on if there's one, at least in my area, because I was actually in Jacksonville, North Carolina at the time. And um, I think she gave me the address to a church in Charlotte, I believe, which is about two hours away. And I think that's like flying can't remember but it, yeah that's pretty far mm -hmm. and I told her I'm like well I'm still considered student status so I can't really leave that far unless I, I put in a request for uh, for leave but uh actually um I forgot what's his name uh, Anthony told me that they actually had a church in Wilmington I believe and so he knew somebody there that I actually met in uh in Dallas later on yeah so that was pretty pretty interesting it made me realize like what a small world it was as far as like with you know with members and so, so yeah, she, she sends me that book, I read it and everything, and I had questions. So then when I, I fly back uh, towards the end of like June, um, yeah, so it was actually July that I got baptized. So I flew back in June and we were talking and then she ended up taking me to a service. Um, I want to say it was like a, a third service on a Sabbath day. And there was a, a deacon that sat next to me. And, and keep in mind, I had never been to a church that where the women were, wore veils or anything like that. So I, right off the bat, I saw that. That that freaked me out. I'm like, what's going on? Like, this this doesn't look right. And um, and then the love bombing. The love bombing was so intense. I mean, I, I felt like a child. And they were, like, praising everything that I was doing, you know, laughing at all my jokes. And I was like, okay. I'll, I'll, let, let's see where this goes, you know. And so I sit in the service and I'm, I'm paying attention. And of course, the prayer of our wishes also threw me off. I'm like, everybody speaks. I thought it was um, either Chinese or Japanese. Like, I, I had no idea what it was. I, I didn't know they were, you know, it was in Korean. And so that that freaked me out also.
But I'm like, man, what's I have never been to a church like this. And I think that's what also kept my curiosity is I had never been experienced anything like that. I've gone to uh, a Buddhist temple. I've gone to uh, Protestant churches, Lutheran. I mean, you name it. Being in the military, you have like basically all those doors that you can go to because um, on base, every you know, there's so many different uh, nationalities and whatnot. And so they all have to keep those religious services. And me just always being curious about it. I went to all of them. And what's funny is uh, I almost got tricked into going into a Mormon church once. They, they had a shuttle on base and some of my friends that were Mormon tried to get me to go. And once I saw how they were dressed, I'm like, where are we, got, where are we going? Where are you guys taking me? Oh, well, we're going to go to the mall, but we're going to go and stop at our church first. I'm like, yeah, no, stop the stop the shuttle. I'll get off here and I'll call. Which is captain. hilarious because then you ended up dressing just like them. Exactly. Right. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> I think about that a oh lot. I'm like, gosh. man, how, it's so ironic, you know? Yeah. And so. Um, so, yeah. So I'm I after that service, they they asked me all these questions and I, I didn't stay to study. It was just more so she she just took me to go see. Right. And so then a little bit after, um, I go up to Oklahoma with her to meet her family. And by this time, we're already dating, right? I mean, like unofficially, I guess, we just kept talking and it kind of just led to that. And so she takes me to Oklahoma and that's when I spend the entire Sabbath day there, like the whole day. And I remember the, the guy that I was, pre- or I was studying with, he was so like amazed that I was answering all the, the questions, you know, to study. He didn't realize that I had read that book already, so I kind of understood where the studies were going, you know. And so we did, I want to say, like three or four studies, and then he uh, he told me about uh, about you know father. He was like, he wrote the name down, and I'm thinking like, okay, that I was like, that's the same name as the author, you know. I was like, is this like some secret password or what's going on? Like, what is this? And so he's like, well, this is uh, this is the name of the Second Coming of Christ. I'm like. So this is the proof that, you know, I've been I've been wanting like this. This is like what basically like solidified my my thoughts on it. I'm like, all right, cool. Did all the studies. I think it was like lesson of the fig tree, um, tree of life, just like and some other basic ones. Right. And um, and so I was like, OK, well, what's next? And then we did uh, be baptized immediately. And of course, they put that one as like in a in a spiritual sense. And I, you know, do the air quotes. Um, they basically said that that name was like the cure to a uh, spiritual cancer. And then they were like, if the doctor came and told you that you had a terminal illness and then this was the solution, you know, you you were completely, you know, cured and everything. Would you take it like right then and there? I'm like, of course, who who wouldn't? You know, it's crazy. Like if if that's what saves you, take it. And so sure enough, that's that's how they got me with that. So I ended up getting baptized right after that. And that I got scared during that baptism because I didn't know I was going to get wet like they didn't. They didn't really explain all that at first. And so he was he gives me a robe and he's like, here, put this on. I'm like, well, what's what's this for? I'm like, oh, well, you're going to get baptized. I'm like, well, I had already been baptized. And it's funny because in boot camp, I got baptized into uh, I think it was like a Protestant church. The only reason I did that was to get out of some of the training that was going on, because I, I, they they were they were offering people to do uh, to do uh, baptisms for the church. And I think the at the time they were doing this training with uh it was like climbing this really tall course, and I was terrified of heights at the time. So I was like, maybe I can get out of this by doing this. And so I, I took it, and I got chewed out in boot camp for it. But I, I had told them, I was like, hey, I, I, well, I've already been baptized, so why do I need to do it again? Oh, well, you didn't do it in the correct name. You know, you, you have to do it in this name. That way it, it works. You know, this is like the real one. So I'm like, oh, okay, all right. 
sure, I'm already here, you know, you're, you're already giving me the rope, so why not? I don't want to be disrespectful and not, you know, not do it. And so they they have me kneeling in the little tub at the church location. And this, this location was about, I want to say, like 20, almost 30 minutes east of Oklahoma City. It was in this place called Choctaw. So it really wasn't in Oklahoma City at the time where they have one now. It was just east of it, out in the country. And so it was a it was a decent sized church, but it was a very, you know, small amount of like very active members. And so I noticed that a lot of the the leaders come in and they start, you know, putting on their veils and start singing. And I'm like, man, am I, you know, what's going on? Like <laughs> it's kind of scary. And so uh yeah, the missionary comes out and starts pouring the water on me and starts praying over me. And I'm like, this is a very different baptism that I've seen. I've seen Catholic baptisms and even just Christian churches like you either sit in the tub and they dunk you or actually, yeah, that's, that's how it is in Catholic churches. But when you're a kid, they, they dunk you in the water, basically. And so for them to be doing all that, you know, praying over your head and everything, it was just it was different. And I guess since it was all different, it, it still made me want to keep going. I was like, it feels different. And, and I really didn't like the churches growing up. Like, it's just I didn't understand the whole concept of like, you know, where does the money go? And that's, it's so funny. And it, it gets me mad too, at the same time that I, I fell for it, what I was against for so long. Like, I didn't, I didn't understand why people would give money to churches if those churches don't help the people out. You know what I mean? And like, I, I even asked a, a, a pastor one time at my brother's church about it. And he got so offended. I'm like, well, you're driving this really nice car. And you know, I just ran into a member that's like sick, and she needs money for a surgery. And yet, nobody's doing anything, you know? And my brother took me home and apparently he had let him know like, Hey, you're not, you can't, you're not really welcome there anymore. I was like, okay, that's fine. At least I was, I was asking questions, you know, and, and that kind of like answered my question to him being so defensive like that, you know? And so that, that left a bad taste in my mouth about how churches were so greedy, but look that's what happened. Interesting point too. Cause I think that when you're in it, that probably is a big reason why it's hard to ever want to go out and and look at the information that's available because because then you have to admit that that you also that you fell for something that most people join that specific church for that reason it's yeah, different yeah. and it's not the the same bullshit of all the other churches in America like you're a part of something that is different than that and um that must be devastating i think that's probably a lot of like why when you come out, it's so painful. and Yeah, so when when I was curious about, like, the whole tithes and offerings, you know, they tell you about the envelopes. They kind of, like, tell you, like, this envelope goes to to the church. This one goes to, um, I forgot, I, I want to say it was, like, what, church activities, maybe? If, I can't remember exactly. And then they say this one goes to mother, right? And you're just constantly giving all that money. But then later on, I'm like, we're the ones paying for a lot of this stuff. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. You you guys wait to do all this construction and stuff, and it's always around tax refund season, you know? Like, they, they wait for those big chunk of chains, you know, to, to, to come out and basically, like, ask for all that money. Yeah. And that's that's what made me realize, like, later on how, excuse me, how in Oklahoma they, they did that. And then in Texas, I saw it as well because – in Oklahoma, I was there when they they purchased the uh, the big the bigger building, and the same thing with Texas. I was there when they also got the the bigger building, and it yeah. pisses me off that I gave into both of those, and I gave a lot of money, you know. 
Yeah. And so you, it's, I, I didn't understand because I'm like, if we're putting all this money towards, you know, this is going to Korea, yet, like, why, why are we still having to put even more money? You yeah. know, and then and then I think one of them had told me. I remember hearing them say like, "Well, Korea only per- puts up a certain amount, and then the members have to pay the rest." And I mean, it's like thousands of thousands of dollars that they're they're requesting from the members, you know. And I, I mean, you you know, all the money you give during the their feast and whatnot, like it it's just it's a ridiculous just amount of money that that they receive. Yeah. And and that was one of the the main things that led me to like realize it was it was a cult. Because when I left, I didn't I didn't think that at all. It yeah. wasn't I, I didn't leave because of uh, I didn't really believe or anything like that. It was I just started seeing a lot of, you know, toxic traits in not only the members, but of leadership. And then I started realizing that, like, I shouldn't be living like this unhealthy, you know, like having anxiety every single day, being stressed out. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I started growing a whole bunch of gray hair. It was it was ridiculous. You know, wow. it was just constant stress. Well, Tony and I are actually, I think we'll release it today that we're recording. So um, by the time this comes out, it'll be out there. But we did a uh, propaganda episode. Oh, really? And so that one, we kind of pointed on that about um, how tact, like how they followed the tactics of propaganda. And so in that episode, we're like, of course, you guys have PTSD. Of course, you guys are anxious. Like they were purposely like making you guys scared (laughs) yeah so i I, tony did they ever have you guys watch the movie the road i read the book so there was a i read the book after coming out Lindsay made me read it and it was so scary and so triggering yeah so that's the one that they made the movie on right there's a movie yeah Yeah, so yeah the movie they had us watch that movie when i was in (gasps) oklahoma when oh. when it was like leading up to like the last days kind of stuff to like basically scary but shitless like i mean that movie was intense and i haven't seen that movie since i actually want to watch it again to see how how intense it was again you know um because what's funny is i used to be into those movies before right so i was a very big like zombie fan like i like the zombie genre that's what i was in i mean i was i was just I don't know what it was about like the undead, you know, like I've seen every zombie movie you can eat just name it. Right. But they, they used that against me when I came in. Cause they asked me like what I, what the stuff I was into. And it's funny. Cause I had a belt that said, uh, it said something zombies on it that I had bought in North Carolina. And they, they had rebuked me for wearing it one day when we were doing construction, I believe, or cleanup. Cause it was, it was in red. I mean, it looked like blood, you know, but it was, it was those cool belts that are like belt buckles, like the car belt buckles, the seat belts. And so I, I mean, I still have the belt, but um, it made me feel so bad about it. But I was like, I'm not gonna throw it away, you know. Yeah. But um, because yeah. it was red. Well, it was black and it had that red, but they were like zombies, you know. They represent yeah, zombies, oh, vampires, yeah. anything like that, ghosts. No way. It like was... there is nothing like scary like that allowed. Yeah, and so they um. What was that Will Smith movie where um, he was the last one alive? Oh, I, am yeah, I am legend. We all actually we went to the movie theater to see that one. Oh, did you? Which was surprising. But yeah, Wait, they like while those, you were while you were in, they let you? Wow. Like with yeah, the pastor, the the people, we all went to the movie theater together. Oh, yeah, no, they didn't. We didn't do any of that. Like they they didn't they didn't let us do that over there. Like even if you would go out with members over there outside of the church, you would still kind of get you know rebuked for it. But my ex, she um, she was a very prominent member. She wasn't a deaconess, 
But as you guys were talking about that 10 talents movement, she I think she actually had completed it whenever in Oklahoma. Like she had a bunch of people that were like that became group leaders and stuff, right? So I felt like because of that, I they I I had some expectations to meet. You know, like they were like, well, she she bears all this really good fruit, you know. Like you're like, holding her back. You need to keep up with her. Well, well, not not necessarily that. They had me just like constantly busy. And so I would always go with her in the beginning. You know, we were we were there almost every day. I think the only days that we didn't go were on Sundays because she has a really big family and she had in Oklahoma alone. She has six siblings. So we were constantly doing stuff with them, you know. Yeah, a, a lot of siblings. And so she they were actually even going to, to the cult as well. I think only four of them, no, five, five of them were going. One of them was from another uh, another mom, I believe. But um, yeah, so they, they were all going. So we, you know, it was family day was going to church. That That's it, going all the time, you know. But when we, when in 2012, there were no, you know, uh, community service activities or anything like that there was none of that it was just constant like study and preach study and preach that's all you're doing you know and so they indoctrinate you so freaking hard in the beginning so i want to say from like july all the way till i want to say maybe like september to or november one of those two it was around that time it was just like constant studying you know i had already done all 50 subjects and they gave me book one and they were basically like saying hey we want you to basically be, you know, with some form of title. And so they basically recommended me to become, a, a, what is it called, a unit leader. So in Oklahoma, the way their structure was, they had, um, you know, the missionaries, then the group leaders, and then those group leaders had unit leaders, which was basically like an assistant. And so that's what they wanted me to do, right? And so they, they said that they were going to start this brand new academy called Elohim Academy, which they did all, whatever book you were working on, you tested out this whole week, right? And so I was, you know, in my mind, I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to study hard. You know, I'm going to set this goal. I really want to do it. So the academy started. Um, they give you like this whole list of like what all you're, you know, you're testing out at what time to be there on time and, and to pray and all this stuff, right? So I'm doing this every day. I want to say I probably tested out like three to four times every day and leading up all the way till uh, Friday. And they, they said that they were going to announce the, the results. I want to say that's that following Sabbath day. So my group leader pulls me aside and he's like, hey, um, he's like, I know you tried really hard, but you were a couple points shy of being a unit leader. He's like, this is what you need to work on. And try try to you know implement all this on the next time so at first it bothered me because I really did try hard you know I was like man it's I was really disappointed in myself because I felt like I was lacking so much and I didn't realize it was just them kind of like you know what's what's the word I'm looking for kind of like belittling me to to make me feel that you know that sadness to want to keep trying right so they had another one scheduled a couple months down the road and again back at it. I'm studying, I'm preaching. When me and my ex would drive, I would preach to her, like, you know, trying to remember, like, they would, they were, like, really big on you memorizing the verses of, like, every subject. And so that's what I was working on. And so, okay, the next one comes around, right? And again, same thing. And I, and I kept testing out with a different group leader that I ended up disliking a lot because he would nitpick everything. You could you could preach this sermon to him a thousand times and he's still going to find something wrong with it, whether it was 
you not having enough conviction in your voice. You're not being confident. You're not being. Can bold. you say who it was really quick? Can we can blurt it out? I don't know if you met him because he. I, yeah. I think they went to Denver a couple times. Okay. But um, yeah, so he was. I mean, he was flat out an asshole, but <laughs> he did it to where he was a gracious one, if you want to put it that way. And so he was always like nitpicking every little thing that I was doing. Not not even just the through the the Elohim Academy, but like even when it was just constant services, right? And so he's the one that tells me like, hey, you know, you didn't you didn't do this right, you didn't do this right. Um, maybe next time try harder, right? And so they gave that position to somebody else. And I won't lie, it hurt. You know, I was I was pretty upset with it because you know you you put in a lot of hard work and a lot of effort just for them to like basically just shit on it, you know. And so I guess. Either my ex told them that it was really bothering me or maybe they saw it, but I kind of stopped participating in as much, you know, I kind of wanted to like, because keep in mind, I'm like nonstop, you know, and so I'm like, you know what, let me, let me take a break, let me relax. And so uh, they, this, this happened for a couple months, but I felt like that was still like nitpicking. So I didn't wear a suit. I want to say maybe like the first from when I was baptized all the way to the end of the year almost. I didn't want to wear a suit because you're in the military. You always have to wear a uniform, right? I didn't, I didn't want to keep doing that. And so I was starting to buy more slacks and more dress shirts and ties, but I wasn't wearing the jacket. And so one day that deacon pulls me out and I, I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned this, but he wasn't a deacon at the time. He was just a group leader. He became a deacon. I want to say maybe in like 20. 14 i believe and this was only in 2012 towards the end of 2012 and uh pulls me outside and he has a suit and i'm like what what's that he was like it's you know he's like this is for you so you can give all glory to god while you're in service you know you don't have to so you don't have to not keep wearing one i'm like and i'm thinking in my mind i, I was a little offended i'm like what are you trying to say you know and so i was like all right cool and i guess he wanted me to put that suit on like at that moment and i just put it in my car and I just I, I went and talked to my ex. I'm like, hey, you know, he gave me a suit. And she was like, Do you say thank you. I'm like, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it, it's bothering me. And she was like, well, you need to get rid of that mindset because he did something that he didn't have to do. And, and this and that. And I'm like, well, I didn't tell him to buy me one. Nobody told him, you know, so I don't see why I'm the bad guy. I didn't I didn't want a suit. And so long story short, I basically ended up wearing it not that long after <laughs> to, to say thank you and to not, you know, be that be the bigger person, I guess. And Dude, so, but that's a social pressure. It's little things like exactly. that. And then yeah. they add up and then they add up and then they add up because you're yeah. getting advice from your wife who, or not your wife, your girlfriend, right? Was she your well, girlfriend at so the time? We, well, she became your married, wife, right? Yeah, in, yeah. in November of that year. Yeah. So even like you go to her, somebody that you trust mm -hmm. and she's like, you know, you need to be humble. You just need to wear the suit. So it's yep. like, even among your loved ones, you're getting social pressure and then you're getting oh my gosh it's just... yeah she yeah she's like Mick she's she's taking their side you know and then mm -hmm. that, that I'm like okay well it would have been nice if you had took my side but then you kind of get to the point where you don't even want to confide in them anymore you right. know because you already know where whose side they're going to take this is can, this is happening within all the relationships yep. and this is how um things happen between the relation all these tiny little details are important yeah exactly and so yeah. So I, I wear the suit, you know, and of course, <laughs> they praise it. They praise it like crazy. Like, oh, he's finally changing. That was the biggest thing. You're changing, you know, you're, you're finally starting to give yourself. You're Father and mother are so stuff. proud. Yeah, exactly. And so in my head, I'm like, OK, you know, it's not that bad. 
And so then I started getting more suits and, and, but I never did my hair to the side. Like I never parted it. Right. That's Cause fair. I couldn't, I couldn't grow it that long, of course. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so that was towards the end of the year. And then that's, this is when I start hearing more of like all the slandering. Right. And they're really starting to pick up on the countermeasure. Like there were two group leaders that went to, I want to say they went to, I don't know. I don't know if it was Korea or not. I don't know if they had gone that year. I can't remember. But they were they were the main ones, along with the missionary, that were like preaching the uh, the countermeasures. You know, they were doing all these big classes with everybody, and and that they felt that were like becoming gospel workers. And so, can you explain what counter countermeasures are uh, like? Training you guys how to like rebuttals. Like they're they're yeah. So you know, like if you go preaching and then somebody tells you that the bride doesn't mean uh, the church or the bride is the church, and then they give you all these verses to like basically like. Uh, defend defend you know the church of god and and you're just you're, you're doing all this stuff right and that's that's what they're just doing like constantly for for the rest of that year so then come uh 2013 rolls around and then they they say that denver's having this really big seminar that's got a pastor from korea coming and uh like they want only specific people going and so i didn't get asked at first if i wanted to go uh, but my ex did so she got asked and she said she was gonna go i'm like all right cool you know you can go and I was like you, you don't really need permission for me you know she's she's basically just letting me know she was going and then I want to say maybe like a week before it they asked me if I wanted to go and I was like well what happened to this person that was supposed to go and apparently they they weren't able to make it and so I was like okay I'll I'll end up going right why not let's see you know I, I want to see other churches because the only the only two I had seen at the time was just Dallas and in Oklahoma right and so we take the trip up there and we got hit by a really bad hailstorm on the way there. And the whole time, like I'm in the car and I'm asleep in the back seat. And then I just remember being woken up by all the hail. And it was, I want to say it was like two or three in the morning. And I wake up, you know, and I'm look, looking around and the, the sister in the front seat had her veil on. And then the two brothers next to me were praying. And I was like, what's going on? Like, you know, I'm like looking around. I'm like, well, are we dying? Like, are we dead? What's happening? And then I, I, I like I shook the brother. I'm like, hey, what's what's up? What's going on? He's like, oh, there's a really bad hailstorm, but we're all praying right now that we're protected. You know, I'm like, oh, OK. So, then I, you know, I bow my head and I start praying along with them. And uh, I think we were stuck under like uh, like in between an overpass, like a whole bunch of cars had like gotten under there to uh, not get hit. And this brother's car just got like, I mean, it got nailed by all that hell. It was bad. And and he was not upset about it. I'm looking at the car once we get to Denver. I'm like, man, that is bad. He's like, thank God for the blessings. Yeah, it's he was okay. like, oh, he's like, oh it's, I don't want this to be my idol. It's it's just a materialistic thing. And I'm like, dude, that's bad, man. It just it looked like somebody just got like a bar, a metal bar, and just stabbed his car. It was horrible. And so... Yeah, so we get to Denver, and it was, um, I want to say it was like 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And they, you know, of course, they they welcome you with open arms. Um, I think we had like a small little study once we got there. And then <clears throat> then they had the food. There. Yeah, was she there. was there. And this is actually yeah. where I met, I met Chad there. Um, oh, okay. There was, there was another another member there that knew Chad, and he introduced me to him. And so I, that's that's how I, it was just for a short amount. But when I saw his face, I'm like, I know him. I, I had met him, but I, I didn't think he would remember me, obviously, since I wasn't there every day. But um, 
Yeah, so I remember after that little service, whatever you want to call it, then came the food. And I will give y'all that, that the, the food in Denver <laughs> was amazing. They had these yeah, fresh yeah. cut watermelon slices, the sushi, just a whole bunch of stuff, you know. And so, you know, we're, we're eating and everything. And then they tell us that we need to go to sleep because the next day it's going to be like an early morning uh, prayer, like I think like at 5 a.m. or something. And so we were like, OK. And that's why I had asked you before if it was uh, if it was a college campus, because they had those rooms that had bunk beds yep. and everything. We built those. We built really? Those. Wow. Yeah. That was impressive because it, it looked like they were like actual dorm rooms. You know, they had the whole showers over there. And I mean, it was I thought it was a school that we were at. I'm like, how did they get you know, how did they find a school that they bought and were able to change it this way? But that's crazy. But it makes sense because every location you go, all the stuff you see, there's always like there's always members that are like those. That's their profession. And they abuse it because they, they want them to build that for free, you know. I mean, it's it's crazy. Now. I know That's- there's beautiful craftsmanship, right? I'm so glad that you mentioned that because so much of the work is done with all their heart and it's done for free. But it's so beautiful. There are so many talented people in there. Mm-hmm. Is this the church that you guys lived at? So we did live in this one. Yeah, this is the oh, one in Denver, there? the big okay. church. Yeah, wow. the big one. Yeah. Yeah, but that's they, had so, a, they had like a little tiny room. Oh yeah, like, we didn't live in the dorms. Those were those were nice. Well, we had our own little private private room. The mm-hmm. the dorm that we were in, it was it was small, but I mean we had mm-hmm. to fit like seven or eight members in there. You know, right. we all had our sleeping bags and everything. It was and like so, a college, like yeah, I don't know what I would imagine. You know, like yeah, well, so style. I, yeah, mm-hmm. what how I kept telling everybody that was there, I was like, well, this reminds me of like the barracks in North Carolina. You know, they're real small, and you have to fit four people. And so that's kind of how like the room was designed. It was basically just a small room. And so we we all may do, you know, we were all happy just talking about how excited we were for the whole the whole seminar and everything. You know, everybody was just pumped for it. And so, yeah, over that span of I want to say it was like three days, three or four days. Um, I'm learning all this stuff about um, all these people speaking against the church, you know, about uh, missionary Ron and Diane and and. Who else was it? Uh, they so I think they had mentioned Michelle, but it wasn't where they were like really talking about her as much. You know, it was just more so that she was this bitter woman that was going against the church and that she was with Satan, that she had been possessed and whatnot. Like that's that's the stuff that they tell you. You know, they feed you all that. In 2013, they were in open litigation with her, so they probably knew they couldn't like direct. That's probably what it was. Yeah. Dude, at that uh, time, they were suing her. When we were having that seminar, they were suing her. That is so fucking crazy. And and was that one, was, uh, what, was that one the 12 million or the 5 million? Oh, that's That's, the 5 million. Oh, five. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you any of that. That's the crazy part. And so I'm thinking like, okay, cool. Enemy number one, not, don't talk to these people. Don't go on the internet. Don't look any of this up because that was their main thing. Do not go on the internet. And then that's where they introduced it about it being the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And actually, at that time, that was one of my favorite subjects. So I, I understood what they meant. They were like, OK, well, we we have to obey. To I not love that study, there. too. Can I just say, no, yeah, that was, was a really sweet study about like the tree of knowledge of good and evil and yeah. the tree of life. And, yeah. and they, they explain to you how, you know, it's not necessarily about free will it's more it's like so like it's the study. obedience yeah, yeah yeah they were like the main thing to take from that is obedience gross now and it's so, gross but that yeah. was one of my favorite ones yeah anyway sorry so, and so they you know they they did that they were telling us all that so when we got back from denver 
I was like, well, I, I shouldn't be on social media, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna like, basically, um, like, you know, distract my eyes from, from, from God, following God, right? And so I deactivated my Facebook, my Instagram, um, and I, I wasn't on it, right? But my ex kept hers. And I was like, why, why do you have yours? You know, like, if they just told us, like, oh, well, I want to use it to, uh, you know, still just be in the loop with what family's doing and stuff. And of course, I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense. You know, I mean, sure, why not? And, but I, you know, my family was like, why'd you delete it? And I was like, oh, I just don't want to be on it. You know, I, I didn't really tell them why. And so I'm, I'm not on the internet. I'm not looking anything up, you know, because I don't, I don't want to take the risk of like spiritually dying because one of my biggest fears, even before being a part of this was I never watched like exorcism movies or anything. Like I, I, even to this day, I still don't watch just because they like that. I guess this is one of those movies that freaked me out, like about possessions and whatnot. That was like the biggest thing that scared me about taking that risk. And I guess it worked out in their favor because I was like obedient when it came to like, you know, if you do this, you're going to be possessed or the evil spirits are going to take over you. And so I like stayed away from all that as much as possible. And um, and so, yeah, this, you know, I'm, I'm not looking at any of that stuff and I'm trying to think what I think that's when they started introducing more of like the community service and whatnot. You know, I think their first one of the first ones that we we uh, partook in was cleaning up uh, the side of a highway. It was like the middle of December and we're all just picking up trash. Um, it wasn't really well put together. You know, that's they just here's trash bags. Go pick up the trash. We're going to you know, we're going to take a picture once we're all done. And so I was freezing. You know, I, I guess I was complaining about my feet being cold because I, I wore Vans. I mean, that's that's all I had. I didn't I didn't want to wear any other boots, you know. And so I just had my Vans shoes. And then that's when they told me, like, oh, you need to, you know, stop grumbling, complaining. This is when I started hearing more about Father's sacrifice. Right. That, that I needed to be more with that mindset, that I needed to walk the way of father and this and that. And I'm like, okay, you know, well, show me, like, well, what do I need to stop doing? Like, I'm constantly getting rebuked for little things. And I even told uh, the deacon one time, I was like, let's do this, because I'm getting tired of, like, you constantly hovering over me, telling me I can't be doing this or doing that. I was like, make a list of what I shouldn't be doing and what I should be doing instead. He's like, well, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, I don't like how you're constantly just telling me, like, I can't be doing this or I can't be doing that. And I really wouldn't say it was much of an argument just because I was letting them know how I felt. But they they took it as that, you know. And so then I get rebuked by him, another group leader of like the older brothers and then the missionaries. Like they basically told me, like, one of the things that pissed me off about this conversation was they were like, well, if you're in the military, you should you shouldn't be. Um, you know, questioning your your superiors, right? And I'm like, oh man, you guys are really gonna pull that card, huh? And so it was just constant stuff like that. Like, it seems like there are several military members. Do you think that's something they do on purpose? Um, like, do you think that they think it's easier um, to get people in the military because they might already have a mindset of obedience and they, of, you know, the structure. status structure? So. They, they told me that mother likes uh, members from the military because they underst understand that structure. They understand the routine, uh, following orders and stuff like that. You know, I guess they don't think that they'll have a, a problem with them because, of course, you can't question your superiors. Like when you're in, in the military, like if you question somebody, like gets, I mean, you get chewed out for that. Like they're like, who are you to disrespect me like that? You know, learn, learn your position, basically. And um, 
And so I guess they felt that that's how they would like hold that with me. Like that, I felt like that was one of the standards that they wanted me to constantly live by. But I guess maybe I'm, I'm a rebellious person by nature. You know, you tell me not to do something. I just, I want to do it. And it really bothered me that they were like talking to me like that. I'm like, okay, well you, you tell us to learn mother's teachings and stuff. And yet who are you to talk to me like that? We're both the same. We're both human beings. You know, we're both sinners. What gives you the right to talk to me like that? And then that's when I understood about, well, mother appoints all these people, you know, leaders and whatnot. They, they appoint them as like, you know, they're in that position for a specific reason that, you know, that they're chosen. So you can't question God. And then that's what makes it, you know, harder to really talk to these people because already right off the bat, you can't question whatever they say. So are you really having a conversation with them or are you just telling them like venting to them just for them to use that against you later on, you know? And so that's, that's when I, kind of like venting to them I stopped really telling them all my business because I, I would I'd have a feeling that they would just use it against me at the end of the day you know and so I that that started bothering me a lot more and this was like towards the end of 20 2013 like it was just like that constant you know you're studying you're preaching we're doing all these uh, activities I think we also did a blood drive which was that one was cool I, I used to like donating blood so it was it was cool to do something that I had done before you know it made me realize like, okay, well, we're still part of like the real world basically. And so, yeah, so I kind of started slowing down because of like, just, I was getting tired of the way they were like constantly just rebuking everybody, just constantly like nitpicking every little thing you're doing. And I'm like, I'm not happy anymore. You know, like I, I don't know what to do to like really keep my interest. And this is going. still pretty relatively early of you being yeah. in. So yeah, like, like already was, from the beginning, you were all, even from the beginning, you were like having one these foot feelings. in, one foot out, you know? Right. And, and in my mind, I, I had a bag ready of like me just like leaving and going back to Texas. I had a bag ready. My ex didn't know about it, but I had a bag like tucked aside, my military bag, my backpack of just all my stuff in there, always ready to go in case like her and I just split up or something you know, I caught her doing something or vice versa. Right. Um, and I was always thinking like, man, if I leave, I leave, whatever, you know, but they started noticing like my, um, my lack of faith, I guess. And so the missionary and that deacon were like, Hey, we feel like you've been doing good enough to where we want to give you a position. So I'm thinking like, I don't think they're going to make me a unit leader and I doubt they'll make me a group leader. So they were like, well, do you want to be the, the student group teacher? So I was like, yeah, you know, why not? I, it, it'll be fun. I, I love kids. I didn't have any kids at the time, but I, I, uh, I had a lot of um, cousins growing up and then a nephew that was still fairly, you know, I think he was probably like two or three at the time. He was tiny. And um, so I was like, yeah, why not? And so it was me and, uh, and another group leader that was, uh, we were the student group teacher. And it was fun. You know, like I, I would... You know, we'd take the little little kids outside. They would play football and whatnot. And we'd, we'd let them get all their wiggles out, whatever, right? Um, and then one of the things that started bothering me was that they would make the kids eat last. And I'm like, why are you guys going to make the kids eat last? If they're, you know, they're smaller, I feel like they're more important. But they didn't see it that way. They, they were like, no, they need to wait until all the other members eat. You know, the gospel workers need to eat. They need a fuel. They need, they need all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I, that, I don't like that. Like, I I was like, I'd rather you guys let me cook them something and then let them eat in their room. That way, I guess they're out of your hair. You know, that's what y'all are making it seem like. And um, they didn't want that. They they constantly just wanted them to eat late. But I would give them snacks and everything because I knew, of course, you know, you have to wait in between. I don't know how your kids are. But my, my, my daughter loves to snack. <laughs> you know, she she wants to eat all day almost. 
And so I, I would, you know, buy them snacks with my own money and I would, you know, I would do all that. And it started getting to the point where I just, I couldn't do it anymore. You know, I just, I was like, this, this isn't, I see you guys are neglecting them. Like, why am I getting chewed out? Because your kid is misbehaving. Like, how's that my responsibility to parent your child? That doesn't work that way. You know, if your child's not listening, you talk to them because they're not going to listen to me. They don't know me. I mean, they, they see me there almost every day, but I bet, I bet they don't even know my last name, you know? And so. That's interesting. So the, so the people in charge of the kids are also like responsible for their behavior in the church? They are. They are. Yeah. Cause they, they expect you to, um, control them. Yeah. They, they don't, if you know, this kid's acting out during service or something, come to the parent first, they're going to come to the, to the student group teacher. Cause they're like, what are you showing them? What are you telling them for them to think it's okay to behave like that during service? You know, it's, it's stuff like that. And so I was getting tired of that. I'm like, I, I didn't like how it was like constant accountability for somebody else's actions. You're the one that pays for it. Like, I didn't, I didn't like how that was still following me even out of the military, you know? And so this was, uh, this was going from like 2013 to, to 2014. And then towards the end of 2014, me and my ex were kind of like having problems. We were constantly fighting over stuff. And I was like, we need to do something new because this is too repetitive. We're just studying and preaching, studying and preaching every day. Like, this isn't, this is right. I was like, I'm not happy, you know, doing this. Like, I used to be happy going in the beginning, but not anymore. And so then that's when we had the decision of like, well, why don't we move to Texas? And in that span of time, I want to say in 2014, we were going to Texas like probably like once or twice a month, right, for, for like the weekends. Because it was only about a three-hour drive. It's not, it's not that far. And my family lived like probably about less than an hour from the Oklahoma border. And so I would go and visit them. And then we would also go and visit her family, which her family was closer to the church. And um, so we would go and we met the pastor there. Um, his name was uh, Jacob. Pastor Jacob, I believe he came from, from either California or Denver, um, but he's in Atlanta now, I believe. But so they, we met him and he was like telling us all these, these things of like basically uh, the love bombing. Again, it started there. You know, he was like, you guys seem like a good gospel worker couple. We could use you guys over here. Why don't you move? It was always that every time we would visit, why don't you guys move over here? And so we ended up making the decision, I want to say towards the end of, uh, yeah, towards the end of 2014, we were like, all right, we're going to move over there. Let's go over there in January to see if we can find an apartment. And that, that's what we ended up doing. We, uh, we, we, um, we found an apartment in like Dallas, which was about 25 minutes from the Dallas location. And yeah, we told the pastor, we were like, hey, we're going to move here. And I think it was of March of 2015. Yeah, it was March of 2015. And at this time, I had already gotten out of the military in September of 2014, I believe. Or no, the active duty status and all that. Yeah. So I was going to get all my discharge papers, I believe, that 2015 in September. And so um, so we we go there. My unit changes to that first unit that I was in in Dallas. So I just I would just have to keep in contact with them in case I, they called me to go back in. Right. But, but they never did. Um, so I start this new job. Uh, at this big furniture store as security overnight and I was like this is perfect I'm going to be working overnight here you know and I'll be able to to do all this stuff that they do during the day you know all the the not not only the feast but like the, those other days that you had mentioned before on like the, the other podcast you know like the spiritual mother's day and whatnot like it was going to work out right 
And let me tell you, that was hard. That was hard because when we moved to Dallas, for some reason, my ex wanted to live, I guess, like a better lifestyle. And so then I took on two jobs, right? I was working overnight and I was working construction with my brother doing concrete work, like repairing foundation and stuff. I want to say like three days out of the week. Um, and keep in mind, I'm sleeping from 7 a.m. to like, and these are like days that I'm not working my second job from like 7 a.m. to like 12 or 1 p.m. So it's not a lot of sleep. And then I got to do stuff around the house before my my uh, my ex would get home and then we would go to church. Right. But then the days that uh, I would work the second job, I'd you know, I'd come right off of work at 7 a.m., go do this job with him till like from, I want to say like 8 a.m. to like, let's say maybe 2 p.m., go home, try and take like maybe an hour nap or something or whatever I could, wait for my ex to come home, make dinner, and then we would go to the church. And then right after that, I'd go to work at, uh, at 10 o'clock. So I did this for a good amount of time. I'd say maybe like two years, two years straight of just minimum sleep. So I was so sleep deprived when I came to Dallas. And have you ever have you ever looked into like what sleep deprivation really does to your brain? I was hallucinating. I was actually hallucinating. I was seeing stuff. So we had this house. um, We rented out this house after we had left the apartment. And um, I remember my brother was living with with us at the time and he had a dog and his his, he's got a beautiful dog. His name is Thor. He's a golden retriever lab mix. Really long hair. Right. He's a very like a red and brown dog. I was cooking. I was cooking breakfast one day and I looked to my side and I, I thought I saw him sitting there and then I turned back and he's gone. I'm like, where'd he go? And I called my brother. I'm like, Hey, where's Thor? And he's like, Oh, he's with me at the lake right now. And I'm like, Oh man, I need to go to sleep. (laughs) I was like, I need to go to sleep. And so as I'm walking to the room, I could have sworn I saw somebody standing in the corner. Like when I I turned the, the corner to go into the bedroom and like, I looked and my heart was just racing. I'm like, yeah, I, I, this is bad. I need to go to sleep. And um, that that was a stressful time because my ex had just lost her job and my brother lost his job and we were renting a house. And I want to say the rent was like maybe seventeen hundred dollars a month. And I'm the only one paying for that. And so I'm I'm just working and working and still going to church at the same time. It's such a high pressure life. and No sleep. My uh, Mm. my blood pressure was high. My cholesterol was high. I put on a lot of like weight from the stress. I mean, it was it was bad. I was really unhealthy. it's that's one thing I've learned because even when you eat there at the church what is it it's just cookies and coffees and and Mm -hmm. sweets whatever like Korean desserts they have there that's that's all they have you know Mm -hmm. and then you'd feel bad for going before and grabbing a burger or something and even then that's not the best choice (laughs) right yeah so so we're we're living there and we're um we're going every day we we lived about like 30 minutes from the church because it's the closer you are to that church, it's more expensive since it was in a really nice area of uh, of Dallas. Yeah, so I forgot to mention in um, one of the big activities, or not the activities, but the uh, the what would you call them? The like not I guess community like events. Yeah, well, Oklahoma and or a bad, a bad tornado in Oklahoma. In oh God, I remember that. Didn't yeah. the people from Denver come out there? They brought the big blue bus. Yep. So we we were there doing the cleanup, and that was one of the things that had scared me because when I saw all the damage that that tornado did, it looked like an apocalyptic movie, you know. And they were like constantly the fear mongering. Oh, this is what it's going to look like in the last days, you know. Like they were just feeding that to everybody, and this was one of the major things that that kind of like stuck with me was how they do the pictures 
they would stage all these pictures to make it look like they were doing all this extra stuff and yet they, they really wouldn't you know and what bothered me the most was I'm, I'm looking at this lady that lost her like she lost everything and she's crying you know she you feel so bad for her and yet they want a picture with her like why like leave don't do that do what she's asking you guys to do find this find that like don't you know suffocate her with the camera and all these questions like that that's it's messed up you know of course they're going to do what you're, you're asking them to just because they what else are they going to do you know in that moment did they expect you guys to preach to those people yep. or were mm-hmm. yeah that and that and that i'm telling you they it's just that's what they would do they find any little opportunity to try and use against you know just trying to use it as a, as a uh, preaching tool any any possibility that they can find they'll they'll use it to their advantage you know and so yeah so going back to when we were in dallas um so they heard that I was a student group teacher over there. And of course, you know, they wanted me to be one over there too in Dallas. So I was like, sure, why not? You know, I'm still active in this group. Why not? And so this is when I started seeing stuff that was really odd. We, we were told that each location has a quota to meet as far as like starting new churches and whatnot, right? And so Dallas was kind of slow in branching out as far as like, uh, I think locations towards the West because they were establishing one near that big base in Killeen, Texas. Um, they were also establishing one in Louisiana. I think it was like Shreveport, but they didn't have anything uh, west. And so they they were told that they needed to start, start house churches over there. And I think they called them Bible study centers. They weren't really churches, but I feel like they were trying to make them into office spaces to become churches. And so this is one of the things that bothered me and my my ex. Like we both kind of saw this as odd. So everybody was going preaching and the pastor had asked, like, I want to say maybe like 10 members to stay behind. And like he picked them all out. And so me and her got chosen. And I'm like, what's what's going on? You know, are we going to are they going to tell us we're going to do construction or something? That, that's like my first thought. And so they tell us that they they're renting out this location about 20 minutes uh, south of, excuse me, of the uh, the church building. And so they're like. It's going to be a, a Bible study location, but we want we want you guys to go and try it out. So we went over there and this is where it got weird. They told us where to sit. You know, they gave us all these tables to go sit at. And they were like, I want you to pretend that you're preaching this subject while we take pictures. I'm like, pretend. What do you mean? Like, well, we're just we have to send pictures to Korea to uh, to show them like this is this is what's being done in Dallas. And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, so all these members were pre- pretending to preach and practice while they were just everywhere they were going, picture, picture, picture. And um, I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, why, why weren't we actually using the place? Like, why, why are they just taking pictures? Because after that, nobody was going there until they were finding more and more members closer there. And then guess what? It became a, a church location. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, why, why do they need to send pictures but not use it? You know, it's just wasting space. And so me and my ex talked about that on the way home. I was like, did you think that was kind of odd? And she was like, just a little, you know, but maybe it's for a different purpose, you know, basically like, who are we to question it? You know, so we just kind of let it go after that. And um, yeah, so that was, uh, yeah. So then after that, um, I guess Korea, they, they wanted Dallas to grow into a bigger church building. And so then that's when they told us about buying the new church location. It was the same thing that we heard in Oklahoma, because when I was leaving, they were actually purchasing a bigger location. I guess maybe they got jealous of Denver's uh, size. They they wanted to match it because Denver was huge. And the, the locations in Oklahoma and Dallas, I mean, they were not they were probably like a fourth of them. You know, they were small. 
But the one in da- in Arlington that the Dallas one got, it's huge. Like, I mean, it's like a mega church type. Well, not mega church, but it's it's big. It's really big. Um, and so they tell us that this is a time where you need to start saving some money aside so you can start, you know, putting it towards the church. And then that's where I had mentioned earlier. I'm like, well, if we're sending all this money to Korea, why, you know, why do we still have to put in for this? Like, oh, well, you know, mother only sends a certain amount and then we got to match the rest. I'm like, oh, okay, well, sure. Why not? You know? And we put in a lot of money. It was, oh, I, I think my ex alone probably just put in maybe like, four thousand maybe two or two thousand to four thousand dollars she just basically gave it to them and then yeah that's that's how they you know they ended up buying it but it needed a lot of work i mean it needed a ton of work they had to remodel the sanctuary all the rooms they replaced all the flooring with like this beautiful you know when they purchase those things they don't have to worry about fixing it up because they know they have all the free labor in the world like yeah sure we'll take it as it is we can fix it up ourselves and you guys as a family like every time you give four thousand more and more and more it's like harder for you to leave because you're like we've invested so much for this okay maybe i don't agree with this anymore but i've already given like twenty thousand dollars to this place i might as well exactly and then and so this is when me and my ex started fighting a lot more because she like i said she wanted to live a nicer lifestyle she wanted to go out and stuff but then they constantly tell you, like, you can't live a double life with one foot in and one foot out. You're either all the way in or you're not. You know, they, they use that verse. I forgot. I think it was in the book of Luke of, like, being that lukewarm water. You know, like, who wants to drink lukewarm water? Like, it, it was always that. And so I'm, I'm working these two jobs. And then I end up picking a third job up. So, yeah, three jobs. And while all this money is going to the church and to what she wants to spend and stuff, it's it's like stressing me out because I don't have any money for myself. Like, you know, she wants me to take her out to eat. And so I was like, I don't have any money. You're either spending it or it's going to the church. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? One thing I, I can say for a fact is your marriage and your love, it doesn't come first when you're in this cult. Like God comes first, you know? And, and so like you, you automatically think whatever marital problems you're having, like you have to go to the pastor to talk about it. Right. And so it's a space to have a healthy relationship. Exactly. Yeah. And so we we felt we needed to do something like for ourselves, because mm-hmm. when we got married, we didn't we didn't do any of that, you know. And so we we took a trip to California and I had family. I have family. Over, well, yeah, I have family over there and we stayed with them and we, you know, sightseeing, being tourists and whatnot. We, we had fun. We enjoyed it over there. It was it was something new, and then that's when we had visited the uh, the Hollywood Zion location over there. We saw how they were doing, and it was pretty interesting to see how differently each you know each church was doing. Yeah. So then we come back, and it kind of like reignited a little fuel in us, and so we again we were preaching and studying and everything. I was having a hard time getting baptisms. Like I, it was hard for me to to get people to be baptized. You know. I got maybe like a handful of people, but I never got family to uh, to get baptized. You were but, sleeping for one hour a day. I don't know how you. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was rough. And so she was still bringing in a lot of people. And so, of course, you're thinking like something's wrong with me. I'm not changing. I can't get rid of this, this, this nature, the simple nature that I have. You know, I'm not bearing fruit. Like something's like legit wrong with me. And it would make me like really sad. You know, I, I'd get really upset because you think you're about to bring this person to get baptized and then they stop talking to you. Yeah. So then we, we get, we wanted to take another trip and we ended up going to Cancun 
And we, we had planned this trip. Yeah, we, we planned the trip, but we didn't tell anybody from the church. And we ended up uh, telling the, the, I think it was the pastor and the, the Kwanzaa that we were going to go to Mexico. And she was like, well, send us the location of where y'all are going to be at, and we'll see if we can find the church. And when we told them, they were like, yeah, there's nothing near there. That's, that's not a good area. Because, I mean, of course, there's no church locations near there. And we were going to be gone for uh, a Tuesday service. So, you know, they told us what to do and stuff. But when we were there, we ended up keeping it on a bus. So, I mean, it really wasn't because we were it was a shuttle going back to the uh, to the I want to say back to the, the little Airbnb that we were staying at. Um, but it was fun. But we fought a lot on that trip. Like we fought almost every day. Mm. And that's when I knew I was like, yeah, I don't I don't think this is going to work out, you know, much longer. And this was back in like 2017, I believe, like at the beginning of 2017. And after that, that's when it just got worse, right? And so we're um, we're constantly fighting. And I ended up staying at my parents' house for a little bit, and it bothered her that I stayed over there because I, I just didn't want to fight anymore. You know, I was I was over it. And um, we're not really being as active in the church. You know, they're just not. They're not. Um, like, they're constantly bothering us, like, when are you guys going to come? You know, are you going to be here today? Like, the text messages just grew. Like, it was intense. They, they were trying to keep us from, you know, like, not being as active. And so we, we were just constantly fighting and fighting. And then it, we went to Oklahoma. I want to say it was in, it was, like, in October or November, somewhere. It was in the fall. And she had a really good friend over there in Oklahoma. And she was venting to her. And her husband came and talked to me. And I didn't want to hear it. You know, I just, I really, I was in a bad place mentally. I just, I was over everything. And he got, he knew I was getting upset. He was like, I'm trying to tell you how to fix your marriage so you guys don't get divorced. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what do you mean divorced? I'm like, do you know something I don't know? And so when I, she came out with his wife, like, it's like a setup, you know, like they, they had courted me out there and they told me that I needed to do all this stuff to fix my marriage. And I was like, who, you know, I'm thinking like, who are you guys to tell me this? Are these friends? So, are they members of the church? Or? Yeah, yeah, they're members. Yeah, yeah. And so I felt really bad how I treated the husband because when he was baptized, I was always with him. Like I was when I was in Oklahoma, I was always like studying with him. He was he was also a Navy veteran. And so we were really bonded by that. You know, we did stuff outside of the church. We went to to the movies together. We went to um, restaurants. We did a lot of stuff with them. Like I considered them friends. And he was he was legitimately trying to help me out. But I, I guess I just, you know, I, I treated him bad just because I wasn't happy anymore. And so, yeah, they, you know, he tried to help me out and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hear. And so then she told me, she was like, I think we need to separate. I'm like, okay, well, if that's what you really want, you know, don't, don't act like I'm the one doing this, you know. And so I ended up moving out and, well, she left the apartment and she wanted me to take care of the apartment, but it was expensive. So I had to break the lease and being young, you know, you don't think about how that's going to damage your credit. I, I didn't really think much of it, you know, like all the credit cards I had open all that stuff. Like I, it was bad. And when you're in that situation, you're like, I'd rather ruin my credit than exactly. exactly. So, so then we end up separating. I moved back in with my parents and we're, her and I are talking and stuff, but it's not, you know, it's not the same. It's just, we're, it's constant conflict. And so, so then she invites me over at her apartment because she wanted to talk. 
and she served me the divorce papers. I was like, wow, okay, okay. And this was, I want to say it was like, I forgot when it was, but I remember sitting in, um, I think this was, this was actually before that happened. I was sitting in the, in the fellowship and I just, I did not want to be there. I wanted to leave. I needed something to like, kind of like get me out of that mindset. Right. So I text my mom. I'm like, Hey, I was like, would you go to Mexico for 10 days with me? And she was like, of course. She's like, when did you want to go? Like in the summertime or something? I'm like, how about in two weeks? And she was like, I don't believe you. And so me being dramatic, I was like, I bought two uh, one-way tickets to Mexico on this, you know, two weeks from now. So just be ready. She didn't believe me. And I sent her screenshots. Reason I bought one-way tickets was because I wanted to bring stuff back and I didn't want to pay for it on the flight. I'd rather have taken the bus, but I regret it because that was a long ass bus drive. But it did give me a lot of time to really think about like my future decisions of like what I wanted to do, you know, because I knew that whole trip, it was awesome. Like my aunt was making me feel better because she knew I was conflicted. She's like my second mom. My fiance actually loves her. Like she met her and she was talking to me. She's like, are you okay? She's like, you have, you have a lot of pain in your eyes. What's going on? And so I, I told her, you know, my marital problems and that I just wasn't happy, but I had so much guilt being over there. And so I ended up texting the, the group leader. I'm like, hey, can you send me the church location over here in Mexico? And I ended up going for a Sabbath day. I think it was just the morning and afternoon service. And then when I didn't keep the evening service, I'm like, I felt so bad. I'm like, this is bad. Like, I don't, I don't know what made me not want to go. So, but at the same time, you know, it felt good. It was weird, you know? I was like, I, I didn't, I was confused. And so after that, it was like, it, we really weren't talking. And I had told the uh, the pastor if I could go to a house church location that was about 20 minutes from my parents' house because it was more convenient. I didn't want to be the student group teacher anymore. I just didn't want to be at that Dallas location. Yeah, when you would go to that church, did you guys see each other? So like at you're going the, at the main the main location, yeah. And we had to pretend like nothing was happening. You know, yeah, that's we had to. Uh, it was hard. Yeah, I don't know how you could possibly do that. Like the emotions yeah. sound like they were so high. And so then to have to go to the, the place with all of your friends and community and like pretend like everything was fine. Yeah, exactly. It was hard, you know, and I didn't want to see her. I didn't, I didn't want to do all that. And so then I had asked and the deaconess was like, what's the matter? And I was like, well, I don't know if she told you, but we got divorced and I don't want to see her. She's like, no, she didn't tell me. I'm like, wow, she's, she's not telling you anything then of what she's doing. Right. And so I was like, but it's not my business to tell, you know, I, I didn't want to be that bad guy. Right. So I ended up going to that church and this is when I started to stop going. Like I, I was going for a service, like just the Tuesday and then the morning service. And then she heard that I wasn't going as much. And then she started texting me like, what's wrong? Why aren't you going? And at I wasn't responding. Church? This is at the new one by your parents' house? Yeah. Then? Yeah. Because oh. it was just the house. It was a house church. Okay. It was only like maybe five or six members there. And so, of course, you know, the leader there, he's going to obviously report it. And he would constantly message me like, bless you. How are you doing? And I wouldn't respond. And so this was going on from like May to, excuse me, to uh, July. And I want to say July was when I just completely stopped going. And uh, bless you. And so, so then after that, I was just, I was so depressed. I was so sad because I felt so lost. I didn't know what to do. And my, my, my parents and my siblings saw it that I just didn't want to come out of the room when I would, I, I was still working overnight, mind you. I was still overnight doing all of this. So I'd come home from work in the morning and just sleep all day and then maybe eat, go back to my room and then go just wait till I had to go to work. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And um, 
my brother, I guess, because he had just gone through a divorce as well. He was like, hey, um, why don't you come to the bar with me? You know, let's let's go and just let's just have a night out. Just us, you know. So I went and this this girl started like trying to talk to me and I got so defensive defensive against her. Like I felt bad afterwards, but she tried to go through my phone like a complete stranger trying to go through my phone. I was like, is this what I'm like? Is this like a thing? You know, since I've been in the cult, is this the thing people do, you know? And uh, I ended up leaving. Yeah, I ended up leaving the bar and um, I came home and my sister was there and she was like, hey, do you want to smoke? And I'm thinking like, damn, it's been a couple. It's been a long amount of time since I've, I think it was like 2011 was the last time I had smoked, you know. And so I was like, yeah, why not? You know, what's what's the worst that could happen? I shouldn't have said that because that paranoia I received, I thought I was getting possessed. Like it was bad. Like it scared me so bad. And I was having a panic attack in, in the room and my sister came in and she was talking to me, kind of like calming me down. And but I didn't tell her like why, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I just thought that something bad was happening to me. And so I was just constantly living in that fear, right? So I'm feeling like really depressed and feeling like just hopeless, you know, and I'm I'm starting to have those really bad thoughts, you know, of like, I feel like my family would be better if I wasn't here type of thoughts, you know. And that's when it hit me. I was like, I'm not going to let them take that from me. You know, I'm not I'm not going to keep feeling this guilt. And so I started going out more like with friends from work. I went to my first concert. Um, I started doing stuff, you know, actually like enjoying stuff. And I remember I saw my my fiance's uh, message on or saw her profile on Instagram and I sent her a message. I was like, hey, how you doing? You know, just just a simple hi. And she responded so quick. <laughs> we were talking and it felt good to like reconnect with her because we were high school sweethearts. You know, there, there's no other person that knew me more than she did. And so I told her that I just gotten divorced and I was just I wasn't in a good place mentally. And so we started talking and we we, uh, we went out on a date and it was good. I felt happy. I felt that joy again, you know, like she made me happy. And I wanted to be happy without having to depend on somebody, you know. And I told her, I was like, I'm still working on myself. I, I still feel like I'm worthless and I feel like I need to prove myself, you know. And so then I switched to overday, like uh, today shift at work and so it's a really big furniture store that do that they do their own financing. They have a whole bunch of electronics. It was a very popular hub for uh, criminal activity for people committing fraud. And so the department that I went to was actually fraud. I, I started doing loss prevention and fraud. Like it was fun. Like we would pretend we were undercover to tell these people like, yeah, go ahead and buy this TV. And then sure enough, we would like take them to the ground and throw handcuffs on them. Like, it was, like, intense. Like, I was getting into actual fights with people. And the reason it wasn't bothering me was because I wasn't scared of something happening to me, you know? Like, and that's when I knew something was bad. I wasn't scared of, like, getting hurt or anything, you know? And I was doing this for, like, about a year, year and a half. And um, I was loving it, you know? I was loving putting all these people, to like, taking them to jail and whatnot. It was fun. Like, we we built a great relationship with the police department in the city. It was awesome. Everything was was going great. Like, I was happy. And then um, my fiance tells me she's pregnant. And so that that's when it hit me. I was like, oh, man, like, I'm about to have a baby. I can't be living, like, with this mentality anymore, you know? So I started uh, trying to figure out what to do next. But when she was born, that was, like, the best moment, you know? It was it was such a beautiful moment. I'm like, this is what happiness is. I, I have my soulmate, and she just gave me a daughter. Like, I, I you know, it's everything's perfect. And this was 
in 20, she was born in 2020. So from when the moment I left to where she was born, I didn't look anything up on the internet about the church being a cult. You know, I didn't, I didn't look anything up. You kind and of just like quit going and just like put it out of your mind. You were exactly. like, I'm not in that anymore. And that's, that's when I found out that it was, that was unhealthy, that I repressed it for so long. During really, that time, were you having panic attacks? Yeah. So this, this is where, yeah. So this is where it actually happened. So I'm having a bad day at work and they send me to an area that's right down the street from the, the cult, like their location, the one that I was going to. And I didn't think I was ever going to have to go back to that area, you know, especially for work. And I was there for at least about two weeks. And every day driving around there, my anxiety was through the roof. It was so bad. And then I was like, one day I was like, man, I, I, can't, I don't want to keep, you know, I don't want to keep doing this. And so then I went on YouTube and I found Jordan's video. And I watched his whole video and then all the Zoom chats that he was doing, like all that stuff. And I was like, man, he's explaining everything how I felt when I left. And so I messaged him two years after I saw his first video. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, uh, I watched your video. You know, I'm glad that I that there's no there's more people out there like me, you know. And it took him like two days to respond because I thought maybe he thought I was still in the cult, you know. And I even wrote that like when he responded, I was like, oh, man, I'm glad you don't think that I'm still in. And so I started listening to more and more of the podcast. And that's when I started listening to The Simple Christian. So then I listened to Heather's episode and all those Bible verses were just triggering me. And on the way home, I had that really bad panic attack. And it was like a 30 minute drive home. So like I cried my eyes out and I didn't I didn't know why. You know, I, I didn't understand why. And I felt so mentally drained and just flustered. I'm like, where are these emotions coming from? I didn't know that all that stuff was triggering me. I didn't, I didn't know I had PTSD. I didn't, in my mind, how I always thought PTSD was associated to people of like domestic abuse or anything like that, or even people in, in that scene combat, you know, that's how I always saw PTSD because I had friends with it from, from the war. And when I got home, my, my, my fiance was having a bad day as well. And I, I just, I, I guess I didn't want to hear it. And I was just like, I'm just going to go to the room, you know, and I ended up sleeping. So she knew something was up with me. <laughs> and I regret this to this day. The next morning, I text her that I wasn't happy. And she automatically assumed it was her fault. Aww. And so I was like, no, I was like, I, I, it's not you. I was like, it's, it's going to sound cliche, but it's not you. It's me. Like, there's something wrong with me. I was like, I think I need therapy. I need something, you know, like, I don't know what's wrong with me for me to get emotional right now. I was like, I even, I told her, I was like, even as I'm texting you this, I'm, I feel like I want to cry. And I was like, and I don't know why. And so almost like when you when you finally get the happiness after like something very traumatic, mm -hmm. he doesn't really know what to do with it because it's like exactly. I should be so happy, but I feel like I need to deal with some of the stuff that's happened. before. Yeah, it's like six years of being stressed and just all that stuff. And then like I felt like something was going to take it away. And I told her that I I'm actually, like, I think it's a good thing because it meant like you were in a safe place to mm -hmm. finally feel those emotions, you know, and like, finally, you had a somebody that could could help you through those things. Exactly. And so I'm not going to put her business out there, but she's actually suffered trauma from a child, like she had some pretty bad stuff happen to her. And so she understood, but she didn't know what I was like, why I was so conflicted, because I hadn't told her she knew it was a cult. But she didn't really know what it was and stuff like that. And like I said, it wasn't up until like last year and the year before that I started telling her more and more. And so 
after that panic attack, I, I told, I was looking at therapists and stuff, but they, they were triggering me also because all they kept asking for was like a method of payment. I'm like, I'm trying to tell you guys like what's wrong with me and I need help, but y'all are just focused on money, you know? And I was like, I, I can't do this, you know? And I was like, I need to find a way of like healing, you know? And so I started hanging out with friends more and started like doing stuff that made me happy. Um, and like, just kind of like finding like small little hobbies to do, collecting stuff and things like that. And then her and I were talking and I was like, I think I need to accept the fact that I was in a cult. Like, I think that's what it is, you know? And um, I was like, I feel like I have trauma that I'm, I'm repressing. And like, I, it was a lot of stuff that just hit me. Just, it, it, it all hit me, you know, at once. And I was so emotional. I want to say for maybe like a month, a full month of just being so emotional. And then I just started talking to her more about it. And so then I remember I started uh, following Jordan and started seeing more and more of the people he was following. I'm like, oh, maybe these are people that were also, you know, former members. And I added Kelsey and then she posted something uh, that you guys had put. I think it was like one of your very first episodes of the podcast. And I was like, oh, let me listen to this, you know. And I, I was like, man, this this is awesome. Like you guys helped me out so much with like accepting all the trauma and then kind of like just just letting it out you know and it felt it felt good to finally find like my people basically it's like the best way I can put it it felt so good and I, I remember telling her I'm like I finally found a group that I'm like comfortable with like that that know they know me without really even having you know having the opportunity to meet me and I was like and it felt great like that it was like a, a weight being lifted off my shoulders basically and it felt good. I was listening to all you guys' episodes. Um, I still have anger phases, you know, of like a lot of stuff that I'll, I'll remember out of nowhere. And then I get over it. I'm like, I'm not going to let them ruin my day. You know, I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to get over it. It's scary when it surfaces because you can like address it and then mm -hmm. you know that it's like, okay. It's not going to consume you. Yeah. Like Exactly. And what's funny is like when I was having that bad moment, like of just feeling really like emotional, she, my fiance was actually apologizing because she would always make jokes about me being traumatized, like a little traumatized uh, rescue puppy, you know, that I had gone through some trauma and stuff. And then she felt so bad that she was saying that she was like, I didn't know that was triggering you. I'm so sorry that I had said it. I'm like, no, it's OK, because it made me laugh like it. It made me take it as a joke, you know. And yeah. she was like, I won't call it a cult anymore. I'm like, no, keep calling it. That's what it is. You know, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's part of a cult, you know? And so we were talking about it the other day. She was like, what are you going to do when, when Olivia, my daughter, she's like, what are you going to do when Olivia asks you about, like, if she ever brings up cults? I'm like, I, we're, we're going to have a long sit down and tell her, you know, tell her all that stuff. Because yeah. my family and her family wonder why we don't go to church or we don't, we haven't baptized her or anything. And I was like, I, I don't feel the need to. Why? You give me a, a legit benefit of why I need to do that with her and we'll take her. Yeah. Crickets. You know, they, they didn't say anything. I'm like, exactly. I feel the need to not do it. So why am I going to waste that time? If she wants to go to church when she's old, she can't. Simple as that. You I know? think that is so fair. After everything that, that you have been through, I think that is so fair for you to want to give your daughter the choice to make mm -hmm. her own decision about religion because of the way we were so indoctrinated you know exactly. we don't want to do that to our children the same thing with holidays like when right. i first celebrated my first christmas that year that i left i was so i felt so scared you know 
But being with my fiance, it, it was still like I felt safe. You know, she was like my safe place at the moment because every time I was with her, I was happy. I, I it was a, not necessarily like a worry free world, but it was more so like I was comfortable with it because I mean, she's known me for 10 plus years, you know, so she she knows how to like make me feel better. She, she knows me as just like a person in general. And um, and so, you know, seeing all my family and everything during the holidays and being so excited to finally have me back and stuff. It, it was really nice, you know, and so it's it was really nice. And being with her, so she works at a bank. And so she helped me finally understand how, like, being financially literate, you know, like, it's helped so much. Like, I finally had fixed my credit. We bought a house. I mean, it, it was there's a lot of stuff that I had accomplished, you know. Ask her if she can put together a little, like, financial seminar for all of us ex-cultists. <laughs> So that we can all understand how to get back onto our feet. Because I think that's a good point you make. You know, we don't really know what we're doing. And a lot of us are in a bad financial way when we get out. And so we really have to start it over. So that's a really good benefit that that you had that. She she was just telling me the other day that she loves helping people understand how finances work. Because at least like how the, the Latino community, at least like my generation and before, a lot of us weren't taught about like, you know, banking and credit and all that. A lot of us had to learn that, you know, as we grew, grew older. Luckily, her and her mom, like her mom taught her a lot of that stuff. And so now that she works at a bank, she loves helping people that come in and try to understand how loans work and all that stuff. And she explains it to them like so well, you know. And um, and that that does make a lot of sense. So I, I will definitely ask her. I think one of the coolest things that happened was she got to see me rediscover myself. And when when I got out, I was listening to a lot of musicians that um, like they I guess they had suffered trauma as well. But I didn't really realize it till I listened to their lyrics. And I remember I heard one lyric specifically that is still stuck to me to this day. And he said, the only person I've ever lost and I needed back was me. And I was like, man, that hit so hard. And so then that's when I started like trying to remember what the stuff that I was into. Like the best way to put it was I was a nerd back in high school. I, I loved, you know, gaming and all that stuff. And and she's seeing me rediscover it again. She, you know, she wants me, she actually asked if I wanted to do my own Twitch channel and everything. I was like, maybe we'll see. You know, that's we'll awesome. See. That's so but awesome that you have somebody she's so you know, supportive. Yeah. So somebody supportive. to support I, you. I think, which is why it's a good time for you to heal, you know? It's exactly. awesome. Because she knows that I was lost for so long and that I she was like the backbone that helped me like heal you know she i i I remind her i'm like you don't realize like you brought me out of a really dark place like i i was in a really bad place and as much as i don't want to admit it you know like i felt like i didn't want to be here anymore and i told her i'm like when i started talking to you again it was when i was like i didn't want to give up just then you know and yeah she she's helped me so much and then when when the day she told me she was pregnant I, I was so happy and at the same time worried because I didn't know what to do, you know, but now, now I got a beautiful little two-year-old that terrorizes us, but <laughs> I'm, I'm so thankful, you know, it's, I'm glad that after all of this that I've been through, I can finally say that I'm, I'm in a better place mentally now. Like there's more that I want to do, but as far as like being at peace with myself and being happy with who I am now. I can say that that I, I confidently am, you know, and she and she sees it. She sees how I am. Like I don't let 
people get to me. I don't let drama get to me or any of that because I, I told her, I'm like, I don't want to waste all my time and energy with somebody arguing. I had to do that for six years. You really think I want to keep going? I know. We've wasted enough time. It is exactly. time to do what we want to do. Exactly. And then like how you put out that cannabis episode, I had, I re-listened to it. And when you had mentioned the strains and everything, that's when I started looking into them and then they started working. I was like, man, I don't feel so, mm-hmm. so nervous and anxious anymore, you know? Right. It's crazy how it works. It's so right. crazy, but well, I'm that's, so glad. That's been one of like my my major things with healing is just you know going outside, smoking a joint, and then just relaxing. Because I mean that's I don't really drink anymore. Like I'll have the occasional whiskey, but I I, I really don't. You know, it's I, I prefer the flower instead. <laughs> Me too. Cheers to that. I want people to know that are leaving. Like reach out to whoever. You know, just talk about it. That's you have to talk about it. Otherwise. You're, you're not going to really heal, you know, unless you have some creative way of healing, then do it. But as long as it's effective, go for it. Yeah. But I feel like the majority of it is just, just talking, just saying out loud. Like I remember in the earlier episodes, it took Tony a while to admit it was a cult, you know, yeah. and it's hard. It really is because when, when I got out, I was on Reddit and I was, um, I was messaging some guy and, and, uh, he was talking about it. I can't remember his name, but he was a former member. And he was like, do you still catch yourself uh, defending them? I'm like, yeah, I do. Like sometimes and even with holidays, like I was so against holidays still when I got out. But not anymore. You know, not anymore. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, So what a great story. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank thank you guys for for putting me on here. It's it's (laughs) I, I. I'm a really big fan of podcasts. And so to actually be able to do one, it's it's awesome. It's really awesome. What it's doing is it's um, helping other people have awareness of it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, when you realized that you were on the bus with a bunch of Mormons, like you had enough concept of what the Mormons are about off of the bus, right? Exactly. If we can spread enough awareness for people to know what the Wimscog is doing, then they can make that decision for themselves and they can get off of the bus when they find out. All I can say is stay away from comb overs and shiny ties. Right. That's like the best way to put it, because they're the, the at least the brothers there were so big on having like shiny ties from Korea, you know. Oh my God, my husband has a box of the prettiest ties, I got rid and of we mine. don't know what to do with them because he never wears ties. I got rid of mine. Like, actually, just just right before this episode, she she had my fiance had a tie that I I forgot about in the garage, and I cleaned up the garage uh, the other week when we were on vacation, and I put it in the washroom, <laughs> and it was like a, a white paisley tie with like blue flowers on it and um she's like i'm gonna make an executive decision and i'm throwing this away and oh i at gosh. first i was like oh why it's it's a nice tie and then i thought about it i was like no you know what yeah get rid of it just go ahead right. and it. did you ever think you would be a tie expert in the ways that we were no like but a from tie aficionado being in the military, I didn't know how to tie ties. And That's so it wasn't great. something new. But right. you start seeing all these fancy ties and you're like, oh, I want it. I want it, you know? Uh-huh. It's so, so weird. I, I look at my Amazon history and I see all those ties from like back <laughs> from 20, you know, 2013, 14. I'm like, how do I get rid of this? Nobody. <laughs> it's bad. Well, hey, fiance. All right. <laughs> Thanks for being so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I forgot to mention what we were discussing about was one of the things that stood out to me the most was the the way members were treated when they like quote unquote fell away and they you know they tried to return and and you know like reignite whatever their their faith was 
Um, so there was this this member. He was the group leader of all the brothers, and he he had been a member for a while before I was there. And you know, like you know, when you when you see a member, the way they they act and they hold themselves to like a higher standard. You know, they've been in for for a good minute, right? Well, this occurred after I want to say it was after the uh, that big seminar in Denver. He I remember he was telling me on the way back that he had seen. I believe it was like two other brothers there that had been anointed to deacons. And it really bothered him. Like, I, I remember it really, really bothering him. And I mean, now, like, looking back at it now, I'm sure it was just his ego. But it was it was just one of those things that he, he just couldn't let go. And so I remember the, like, the preaching and everything was, was picking up. It was around the year of Jubilee, uh, or right before. And he was... You know, he was studying, he was doing all that he needed to do and just, you know, leading by example. So I don't know how the conversation went. I wasn't there, but I remember he somebody had mentioned that he had brought up how how was it that those members had became deacons when he had been there longer. And so I'm assuming he was seeing it more as like you put your time in and you become you basically get promoted. Right. Well, I I assume that conversation didn't go well because not long after he lost that group leader title and that that destroyed him. I mean, I felt so bad because, you know, he had been leading by example for so long. And keep in mind, this is the, the member that actually had introduced me to Chad. So I don't I don't know if Chad remembers him, but um, he was a really like prominent member from Oklahoma. And so he he lost that title and you could tell that it was like really really eating him up like it was bothering him so bad to where like he kind of just kept his distance you you know when somebody's like they're hurt but they won't admit it of course cuz they you know they're putting on all that that fake happiness and whatnot but i mean with him it was it was obvious that he was showing it but yeah he he kind of started distancing himself and i remember one of the uh, the deacons there in oklahoma was they were just saying like kind of kind of keep your distance away from him you know he's he's spiritually sick and he's you know he's trying to to overcome basically which is one of their favorite things to constantly say is he's trying to overcome and so he he was just having a really hard time and then i remember um this was around the time that i was actually moving to texas and he he just he was having a really tough time. I mean, it, it just it was bothering him. And little by little, he stopped staying in between services. He stopped, you know, going preaching. He wasn't really uh, participating in, in any of the activities that, you know, were being held in the church, whether it was those family days or even the cleanups and whatnot. And then I remember he kind of just stopped showing up to services. And that that was a big thing, because keep in mind, like I said, he was he was a really you know popular member. <laughs> and in the words of Anthony, he had a lot of church cred, like a lot. And so. Yeah, he he never really went out to like establish a house church or anything like that. Um, and I'm assuming this is why, like he you know, that that was one of those things that just it. 
it just got in the way of everything. And so when when I moved, I remember asking one of the members when I was in Texas, I was asking about him. I'm like, hey, how how's he doing? And then they were like, well, he's he hasn't been coming. And, you know, they I guess they weren't trying to contact him. They were just trying to let him be. But I want to say maybe like a year or two later, that's when I was t- I was told that he started coming back. And then I remember I, I went to go visit one weekend and he was there, but he sat like all the way in the back and like no members were talking to him. You know, they were just like, like treating him like he had the plague or something. They just didn't want to be around him. And it it, it sucked because I, I, you know, I considered him someone that I thought was a friend, you know, like, I mean, you build you build these relationships with these people and what's crazy is like half the time you don't even know what their last name is, you know, and you spend so much time there with them. It's it's crazy. But I I remember immediately after that service, I tried to go and talk to him, but he was quick. He ended up leaving and got in his car and just drove off. And, I, I you know, it, it really bothered me because I I I really wanted to check up on him. I wanted to just just to talk to him. It wasn't even about like his faith or anything. It was just more so I wanted to see how he was doing. And and now that you know that I'm out, it it sucks because you know we we all have gone through that. Like we know what he was feeling, and for him to go through it alone, that's it sucks. And it just goes to show you like how like I mean how how mean they are towards people like that. You know, like you you instill all this stuff into them. Like you build them from the ground up. You know, you you like program these people to to do what you want for the, you know, for the cult. But the minute they, you know, they start, they stop coming. It's, it's like, we don't, we don't want anything to do with you. Like, you know, he, he saw everybody there as a family. Like that, that's legit how you see everybody is, is as a family, but it's, you know, it's just one of those things. Like it's crazy thinking back at it now, how a lot of us whether we've been in that same position or we, you know, we've all seen it. It's so crazy how it doesn't matter what part of the, you know, this country that we're in, like where, what our locations were at, what, what churches we were at. It's, it baffles me how they all act the same, you know? And then, and then that just confirms that it's, it's a cult because, you know, they all do the same thing and it's, it's crazy. Like, and then another thing was, I remember when I was in Dallas um, we were doing this really, this really deep study. I want to say it was a six day creation. And I remember it was my, my group leader. He, he was, uh, he was a member, he came from Korea and he was, uh, I think he was talking during the, the study. And I think he was just answering a question for, for another member. And the pastor was walking up and down the, uh, the tables where we were studying, you know, he, he was in the front and then he was just walking around while he was talking. And then he gets behind him and, and asks him, like, are you not paying attention? And then he go he goes ahead and, and asks him a question and he he couldn't answer it, you know, and he, he kind of smiled thinking like the pastor was like, I guess, messing with him in a sense. But no, that was the complete opposite. Um, I remember seeing the, the pastor's ears turn really red and like everybody knew that that was like an indicator of him getting like pissed, like pissed off, like he was like royally pissed off. And I remember he told him to get up and he did. And he had uh, he had this new song book under his his arm. 
And he just winded that book all the way back and smacked this brother like dead center in the back. And I'm I'm in shock. I'm like, he's always telling us to have patience, not to grumble and complain, you know, to constantly go by uh, mother's teachings and whatnot. But to see this grown man hit another member who was a lot younger than him, you know, with this book, like as hard as he could to make an example of him. Like that, that really, really bothered me because on top of that, like the members that were around him were laughing, like they were all smirking and laughing and making little comments. And I'm, I'm thinking like, that's, it's not funny. You know, it's, it's a little disrespectful to, you know, to like humiliate somebody like that. And so I, after, after that study and everything, I had asked him if he was all right. You know, he, he just, just joked it off, you know, just laughed it off. And I remember driving home with my uh, with my my ex, and I remember we were we were talking about it. I was like, "Was that not odd?" And she was like, "Yeah, I don't know why why he would hit him like that." And I'm like, "Yeah," and, and you know, all the all the other members were laughing, thinking it was funny, and it just made me like you know, it made me mad because like you're you're in this position, you know, like everybody looks up to you. Everybody tries to follow your example because, you know, everybody, everybody in the church believes that all the pastors are anointed and they were all, you know, with with um, with mother and they all, you know, they all, you know, they're all on their P's and Q's basically like they, you know, they, they know their shit. And so for him to do that, you know, it's just it's crazy. Like you you're basically going against everything that you had said. But since you're you know, since since supposedly God had put you in that position, it's OK. Like no, that that doesn't that doesn't doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's it's that's horrible leadership. Like now now that I'm I'm out and and you know you you see the world differently. I mean, a lot of us coming out of the cult, you know, we we it's hard to see the world how we we used to see it. Which that's honestly one of our our hardest things, in my opinion, to to still kind of adapt to. You know, us being out of out of just society for so long, you know, we're, we're, you know, slowly emerging back into it. But for them to be doing that, like, and, and seeing how, I, I don't know, it, it's hard to explain, but that's like really horrible leadership. You don't do that to people. You don't humiliate people like that in front of others. Like, I understand accountability, but at at, at what point do we, do we, you know, do we stop and say like, hey, this is, this is pretty bad. Like this is like borderline abuse, but of course, you know nobody's gonna question it because of course it's a pastor. Who's who's gonna who's gonna be the one to say, hey, pastor, you shouldn't be doing that? Nobody, because everybody's scared. It's you know, it's just one of those things. It's just that 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 has still stuck by me. Like I remember seeing it in my dreams too. Like you know, like I had I had nightmares, and I would always see him. <laughs> I would always see him with that new song book. Not, not that I would dream that he would hit me, but I would always see him. Like, I saw him a different way after that, you know. He wasn't the loving, you know, jolly pastor that, you know, I, I really liked whenever I, he convinced me to move move to Texas. It was after that, it was like you had that sense of fear around him, you know. Like, some people would rather be feared than respected, you know, in that sense. And so... Yeah, like I would I would have dreams of seeing him and my other group leader 
and it was it was triggering you know like it's just it's just one of those things that i it's hard to forget because it, it was like it literally it happened like right in front of me like he was across the table and so it's just sad that i'm sure it's happened at other different lo- locations maybe even worse you know but like the screaming or or you know just that that kind of humiliation it's just it's sad like i i don't understand why people still still want to keep going even after witnessing things like that you know i like i said after after witnessing that myself it really did put their behavior in a different perspective because you you can't be a leader and then be that mean and that ugly to people and then think it's okay just because you were you were anointed for that position it just it doesn't sit by it doesn't sit well with me boom baby This is why I listen to podcasts more than I do music because it's you're not they're not only educational but they legit help you like you know it's people talking like it's like you're having a conversation with people you're just not talking you know yeah we can hear you we can hear you when you talk back to us yeah <laughs> and when you're shouting at yeah we can we hear can you. hear you.